World War Covid. From Weapon World to Peace World. Learner, begin. Katari, the cornerstone rejected three. Weapon mentors like the Apostle Paul, John of Revelation, Saint Augustine and their wacko supporters have compounded the same errors since. They have confabulated the obvious dead-end lie of salvation in this world through some dubious pecking order verbal contract drawn up during this lifetime, followed by some gotmit-ons, end-of-times nightmare. Overseen by a loving God. Tell me another story. That eerily resembles the fate concentration camp inductees had to endure. Take the line to my right if I think you will serve our needs, or to the left if I deem you too feeble for our scheme. No self-respecting God would sully himself in this manner, only a psychopath would. The outcome? 2,000 years of brutal hypocrisy mediated by so-called Christian authorities. The Council of Nicaea, Iznik Turkey, was held in 325 CE. Narrow-minded, as usual, fundamentalists had finally converted themselves from persecuting Christians with Gestapo-like tactics in the name of official paganism. The high-ranked among their descendants reassembled there, rejected reincarnation, a very popular belief at a time of dynamic interplay between Eastern and Western thought, and expunged almost every mention of it from the Bible. Then, in the name of official Christianity, they started persecuting honest Christians and pagans. They've only stopped recently in a few countries, after being stripped of political power. It is obvious that mass religions are morally bankrupt, despite the heroic devotion of their best practitioners. The evils they forgive themselves, more than offset any claim to validity. Even though our spirit lives starve for the nourishment of authentic faith, we cannot dismiss the organized kind outright, tempting as that simplification might be, based on the trivia it offers us, the way a proud housecat offers up its killed prey. Without the benefit of religion, omniside crouches in our hearts where real worship belongs. Free-thinking materialists commit the worst atrocities. The scope of their evil makes such heavy demands on their virtuosity, they can't afford to pay attention to trivial loser pursuits like soul and spirit. Those of us more intent on pursuing the good should seek inspiration from a good God. It would not matter so much whether that God is imaginary or eternal from our stunted point of view. We require a role model more compassionate than the genocidal creeps currently on display as God substitutes. Even so, the word of God has seemed to evolve from rigid demands dictated by genocide and punishment based on God's total incomprehension of us and of our soul, to God's words of Christ revealed with affectionate tenderness as if God had to learn to love us despite himself and everything else. God may have never understood humans and human love, and acted like an abusive parent until he had his own beloved son, the way a mafia don brought up to be a murderous psychopath learns to cherish the wife and children of his family. This could lead to the radical idea that the serpent of Eden, condemned to crawl in the dust forever for having introduced Adam and Eve to the knowledge of good and evil, therefore you shall die, becomes the Christ who left us the Holy Spirit, human conscience, the knowledge of good and evil, as our comforter. The Alpha and the Omega, you see. There follows the idea that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, never forgiven, is the abandon of our moral conscience in favor of being saved by human reports of the imminent or actual return of Jesus, those reports equally impossible for anyone but God the Father. Once and for all, this exotic doctrine could shut down the idiot diktat of fundamentalist middlemen who control the religions of weapon world, banish them from spiritual discourse unless they grew wiser and more loving. By what right, wisdom, and benediction are they entitled to butt in there anyway? It would put the kingdom of heaven in everyone's reach in the afterlife, regardless of truth or error in this lifetime. It would entrust earthly cares to our own accountability, and our salvation to the Lord's direct example. John Ralston Saul, in Voltaire's Bastards, 
The Dictatorship of Reason in the West, Vintage Press, a division of Random House, 1991, pages 542 to 543, states that the inclusion of the Book of Revelation in the Bible, highly controversial at the time, allowed organized religion and its government masters to supplant Christ's Sermon of the Mount with any extremist rant of bigotry and mayhem they could find a strategic use for. It is them, or us. The clergy alone could read the Bible, while lay people were limited to Sunday sermons in incomprehensible Latin and iconic, mosaic, and stained glass representations, the medieval equivalents of today's foreign films without subtitles. They doled out one spiritually scrawny lifetime to each of us, during which we were supposed to fulfill the mission impossible of personal salvation under the lash of their incompetence, in accordance with their shameless plagiarism of ancient Egypt's Day of Judgment. To promote mere weapon tyranny, they distorted Christ's words in a manner as meaningless as it was redundant. I wouldn't trust them, or a hundred generations of their successors, with a used Kleenex much less my immortal soul. In the meantime, their misinterpretation made blasphemy commonplace, murder routine and sacrilege inevitable. Anticipating public defiance against their aberration of Christian values, they consigned most immortal souls to a five-pitchfork hell that a loving God would not have confined Beelzebub himself to. By means of well-coached moral gymnastics of self-perfection, they sought to save only themselves and a few devoted slaves. Since they couldn't picture a realistic heaven, their default option of hell had to be pretty bad, a collage of psychobabble nightmares lovingly narrated by weapon mentors. It had to look that way to be marginally worse than their hellish weapon world here and now. Don't talk to me about Islam either. Once Muslims stop killing each other as Sunni, Shia, or other sectarians, for some trivial reason compared to the salvation of their soul by means of the peace of Islam, be sure and get back to me. In the meantime, Muslims subsist on the knife edge of Allah's mercy, providential be his name. Those who disobey him so shamelessly or let other Muslims do so have nothing much to teach me. Once we join the barn raising of God's house of peace, we may calmly discuss the relative merits of each religion. Until then. Yet their historic preservation of the word of God sanctified their vocation, regardless of misinterpretation. A better reinterpretation would restore them their holy calling. Their ultimate revelation may be the transcendental way the best among them may fulfill their dreams of devotion, once they grasp what is written below. The Perfecti got a much clearer personal message through to a few lucky credenteas, in absolute defiance of weapon Christians. After all, their weapon message remains confusing despite 2,000 years of biblical scholarship. The God of Love's message could be understood by any child hearing it at a parent's feet. Those weapon fanatics burned them alive and stamped out their teaching as quickly as they could, for no better reason than to mislead everyone into the dead-end hypocrisy described above. It seems we may serve mammon or God in this lifetime, but not both at once. The choice has always been made for us, between government or spirituality mutually exclusive. We must make the real choice between the mammon of weapons and the god of peace, each with their own form of government. Lerner suggests we serve this world gracefully and grace in the next. If you dismiss this as some worthless, Bible-thumping crankdom, more fundamentalist babble, you've missed my point entirely. And Lerner friend, that's your loss. Check it out with proper prayer and watch it confirm itself for you personally. If you take your weapons indoctrination too seriously, you might sort religion from government as independent variables. Forget it. We are progressives in that our faith, in whatever, triggers fearless love, and reactionaries if we react, faithlessly, against the shadows of our fear and hatred. Creed and governance operate in parallel. It doesn't matter what phony drapes we use to cover the religious underpinnings of government, the way prudish Victorians drape piano legs to repress their sexual obsession.
those chosen few these days should let go of traditional religions and their mystical dead ends. They could revive itinerant Kateri communities and restore a superior Deo. It would greatly relieve me to receive an honest consolamentum on my deathbed, along with a painless death, no matter what my state of consciousness was at the time. Check this out if religion is your calling. A short first stop would be The End of the World by Otto Friedrich. His chapter on the birth of the Inquisition reveals the historical and theological convolutions that entangled the Katari. Zoe Oldenburg's books, available in translation from French, provide a lot of useful information on this topic. Such subtleties are incidental to learner purposes. Genuine perfecti should gather into itinerant religious orders in straightforward obedience to the word of Christ. They could heed his direct instruction in the Bible and, in so doing, serve as useful role models for peace world religions. Expect equivalent miracles to emerge from other world religions. With greater or lesser success, their foremost adherents have approached similar ideals of devotion. Every religion has conceived and aborted one or more superior heresies, Orphism, Essenes, Sufi, Bhakti, Jain, Gnosis, Ahmadiyya, Quakers, Therapeuti and Buddhism's vehicles, some peaceful offshoot more profound than the gangrenous orthodoxy of today. We should revive the best ones to replace current ones more toxic. After all, what would you rather, that the worst weapon mentors in history served as your children's chaplain? Even if their survival and well-being required a thousand times less weapon mentality. Jesus said that any man who looks at a woman commits adultery, I confess to as much sometimes. Had he concluded that everyone was in a permanent state of sin? According to his prescription, nobody on earth has known real faith since his departure. No one is likely to achieve heaven in this lifetime, whether on their own or through the mediation of some self-proclaimed bureaucracy of fellow sinners. Nor has there been a valid verbal or behavioral contract we could strike during this lifetime with the so-called representatives of Christ on earth, no matter what hokum these self-serving hucksters dare sell us. It is obvious they are as hopelessly mired as we in this hell world. How could they pull us out of the muck? None of them can quote coherently from his words before they start laying power trips on us. They wind up twisting Bible verse and improvising as they go, since Jesus had nothing to say about their bureaucratic con game. I'd rather call today's mass consumption Christians, Paulist Johnist Augustinians rather than real Christians, since they pay more heed to the scribbles of mere men than to the word of God told by Jesus. Compared to glorious Christ, Paul, John of Revelation and Saint Augustine, any preacher, saint, or apostle you care to mention, you, me, and anyone else, we are all the same miserable sinner. For example, Jesus forbade us to pray in public and in church. According to him, we should pray the Lord's Prayer all alone in a closet, Matthew 6 6. Yet these ministers insist that we must pray man-made texts with them in crowded, man-made churches in order to confirm our devotion to Christ as interpreted by men. The solitary prayer of our Father, the only way for miserable sinners like us to approach God's truth. Anything harmless you do during this lifetime is your business and no one else's, especially not that of fundamentalists and religious bureaucrats. We should have always understood this to be the case. I suggest you follow the best advice of your favorite religion, especially its version of the golden rule. That might ease your tormented conscience during your next trip to the other side. In addition, you are free to reincarnate into any prophet or saint you choose and endure soul safe in that stout shelter, with its personal exaltations, sins, and agonies, through countless deaths, reincarnations, and rebirths, until God harvests every soul once and for all. Walking around in the body of Christ and seeing the world through his eyes, will be so sorry for all the wrongs of recent and prior lifetimes, and grateful for any act of grace we had accumulated in the past.
piety and kindness in this life make the best preparation for the after-death experience. Those who mess things up during this lifetime will have a worse time of it, I assure you. The five rules of Islam, carried out in good faith and without hands washed in angry blood, would be excellent preparations for the supreme challenge, as would any pious lifestyle that valid religion encouraged. Every time we die, I believe we reincarnate back onto the will of desire, pain, and death. We've done so blindly through endless incarnations and ecologies since earth life, began. I suspect that each consciousness, or the only one everyone shares, runs the gauntlet of every life bubble in the DNA chain of the universe that twines and untwines at the speed of death. One for all and all for one. We need to love each other like ourselves because they are us and we are them. Once you grasp this message, no one can extract it from you by force, by guile, or by loving persuasion. Either it will work for you and you will be saved, or not. Once you decide to use it, no one can hold you back. For the first time in all of your imperfect lives, you will be perfectly free to save your soul, miraculously free. Or come back to these endless lives as often as you wish, as a bodhisattva, provided this lesson awaits you next time and hasn't been suppressed as it has been so often in the past and so completely before learner. When you die, I invite your soul to pry open this narrow escape hatch. It's a tight fit. Through its porthole, I may have caught a foggy glimpse of salvation. May this message extend to everyone. Comment. Mark Mulligan at Comcast.net